Well, good morning. Grateful to be with you all in the room and everybody joining us online. And if you're catching up later in the week or down the road, thanks for jumping in and checking out uh, what God's Word has to say in your life as well. We are in week three of our series called Vertical. You know, so much of the time in life when we long for something, maybe we don't even know what it is we're longing for. Uh, we're looking for peace, for joy, for fulfillment in life. What do we do? We look around us and we see what are the things that are available to me around me, but perhaps we need to not look so much around us, but perhaps we need to look up. Perhaps what we are looking for and longing for is not found horizontally, but it is found vertically in our relationship with the God who made us. We launched this series a couple of weeks ago when we talked about God's glory, how God wants to give us his face and not just his hand. Last week, Pastor Hunter talked to us about learning to trust God what it looks like for us to step out into the river before we know that God's at work because we trust that God's at work. I encourage you to go check those messages out if you missed them. But today we're gonna to talk about what does it look like for us to worship God? Here's the truth that I know about every single one of us. We are all passionate about something, right? Now, some of you, you, you celebrated your passion yesterday afternoon or last night. Uh, and some of you are still recovering from the celebration of your passion. Some of you are happy, some of you are not. But I know that we're all passionate. If it's not college football, you're passionate about something, right? And what I know about all of us is when you're really passionate about something, you will sometimes do crazy things for what you're passionate about. Right, just take a, a moment and think about what are some crazy things that you've done in your life because you are passionate about something. Those memories flood back. Uh, maybe you laugh, maybe you're a little embarrassed, maybe uh, you, those are fond memories. I saw a couple of crazy stuff a couple of weeks ago of people who are passionate about college football. And I thought about showing you the pictures, but I thought, no, it may be a little unsettling. Uh, if I show you this, I saw one guy uh, on college game day getting ready for a football game and he literally covered himself with mayonnaise. Anybody see that? Like what in the world? Like what, how are you passionate to the point of, of you're covering yourself with mayonnaise? I saw a couple of other guys, they covered their entire body head to toe in glitter paint. And I thought, well, like, I wonder what it was like that night when they're trying to get all that stuff off. I had a friend years ago, he was so passionate about Chick-fil-A that he camped out for three days at the opening of a new Chick-fil-A to get a year's worth of Chick-fil-A coupons. Uh, well, you, that's some real passion there. Uh, I've done some crazy things in my life. Uh, I'm as passionate as anybody, or probably not anybody, but I'm, I'm pretty passionate about sports and, and college sports, and, and I've been there and done that. I've, I've painted my whole body or my, you know, before for the game, and sadly, there's no picture of that. I, I couldn't, couldn't come up. It just disappeared. It's gone somewhere. Don't listen to my wife. It's gone. It disappeared. Uh, I, I've been on the field and brought the goalpost down and carried it out of the stadium. I've done all that. Uh, I thought about one thing that I was, I was willing to show you. Uh, several years ago, I went to Duke University and I was very passionate about Duke basketball. And so my wife and I participated in the annual Duke basketball camp out. 
where we camped out. Uh, because as a grad student, we camped out for three days uh, for the opportunity to go into a lottery to maybe be able to buy season tickets uh, to the game. And that's kind of what the camp out looked like. I thought I'd show you a picture of a young Jonathan and Jesse in all of our glory at uh, 22 years old, getting ready. That was pre three days of camp out. We're still smiling at that point, uh, getting ready to uh, maybe have a chance to buy season tickets. Uh, my fellow students who were undergraduate students had to camp out for every game. And so I would go to school, go to class and watch them camp out in the snow. Uh, in their tents day after day after day. And you kind of stayed away from that area because you didn't know what it would smell like or, or what was going on there. But we've all done some crazy stuff for things that we're passionate about. But here's the point in all this, is that when you really care and are devoted to something, there's just about nothing that you won't do, right? And the question is, is in everything in life, am I a fan or am I a worshiper? And do I have it in the right order? Am I a fan of the things that are worthy of fandom? Am I worshiping the one and only who is worthy of worship? Or do, if I'm honest with myself, do I sometimes perhaps have it backwards? And here's the challenge, is that for many of us, you know, maybe we're not sure of that moment that we cross over from fan to worshiper or worshiper to fan. That moment where we stop worshiping God and we're just a fan of God, or maybe we stop being a fan of something and we begin to worship it. And how do we know when we've crossed even either side of that line? And so I thought about what does it mean to be a worshiper? And there's some things that we can look for, some indicators of what is it that I'm worshiping in life? What are you worshiping? How do you know? Well, here's some signs of what is it that you're worshiping? You worship, number one, what you are devoted to. What gets your, your commitment? What gets your devotion? What is it that you pour your energy and your heart into? Another thing that we look for is what do I sacrifice for? My time. Uh, money, energy, what, what am I willing to, to give myself and the things that I have? Uh, another thing is that what does, you, what does get the resources in your life? What do you pour your time into, your money into, your energy into? Uh, where do you spend uh, your free time? Where do you spend your thoughts? Where do you spend your emotional energy? Something else we look for is what is the highest priority in my life? What is it that I focus on? What is it that's most important? And then ultimately, here's the, the foundational thing that we look for as we worship what we look to for purpose and value. What are you looking to in your life for purpose and value? Because here's the truth, here's the reality for us is that there are lots of things in the world today around us, horizontal kind of things that are calling for our worship. They're calling for us to give our devotion and to sacrifice for and to pour our resources into it and to make a priority in our life. They're calling for us to worship them, but there's only one who is worthy of worship because there is only one who can ultimately give you your life's purpose and value because there's only one who made you. There's only one 
who can save you. There's only one who can give you the joy and the peace and the, the life that you and I are looking for. And so do we have the one who is worthy of worship in the place of worship in our lives? So I thought about what are some of the things that perhaps are pulling for our worship? One of the things I thought about was sports. How many of us, if we're honest, might be teetering on that line between fan and worshiper and we are devoted and we do sacrifice and we do pour our energy and our resources and it really, it is the priority in our life. And maybe, maybe we, we do find our value as being a part of that fandom for that team. Maybe it's not sports, maybe it's money. And you pour into it and you sacrifice for it and it's the priority and you find your purpose and value in it. Maybe it's success or your image and you spend all your energy making sure that you portray a certain image online or in person. Maybe it's your reputation. It could be comfort. For some of us, it might be pleasure. For some of us, it's family. How many of us turned the blessing and the gift of family into an idol in our lives? where we find in it our value and purpose rather than bringing to it our value and purpose. Or, or maybe it's entertainment or how many for us, for us it's control. And I'll battle with God for control in my life. Or maybe it's knowledge or for many of us in the room, it's religion. It's the rules. It's the behaviors. It's the doctrine and we worship those things instead of the God that it points to. What is it in your life that might be competing with the place of God for that one and only seat of worship? And it comes back to this question is, what is it for me that's most important? What is it for you that's most important? So this leads me to a familiar story I wanna share with you from John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, we're gonna meet a young woman who in her life, we clearly see what is most important. So John chapter 12, starting in verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And here's where we wanna focus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We're gonna talk about what's happening there. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he was cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to keep him for himself what, to what was put into it, help, to, help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, 
but you will not always have me. So let's back up just a step. And how do we get to this point? So in John chapter 11, Jesus has this incredible encounter. He's been doing a, a series of miracles that John calls signs that are, are to point to the reality of G, who Jesus is. They are to build the faith of the people who witness it and they're to bring glory to God. And in one of these final signs, Jesus comes to his friend Lazarus, who's been dead, and not just dead, but dead for three days. And Jesus shows up and he calls Lazarus out of the tomb and he comes out and they unwrap the grave clothes. And from that moment on, just the fact that he was living and breathing, Lazarus was a walking testimony to the power of God through Jesus. And then the people who witnessed this, who were close to Lazarus and close to Jesus, they decide they're going to throw a party. Uh, the question for me is, what kind of party do you throw for somebody who brings somebody back from the dead? But nevertheless, they throw a party in Jesus' honor. And Mary, who has seen this, walks into the party and she does some incredible things. Not incredible just because we know the end of the story. Not just because we know that it, this party being thrown before Passover is setting up what Jesus is going to do on Passover. That he's going to be the Passover lamb. That he's going to give his life. That he's going to be the sacrifice that we could not bring to God. That he's going to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and set us free from sin. Not just because of that but because Mary is knowingly breaking some party rules. Did you know there were, just like today, there were some first century party rules. In other words, Mary's gonna come into this party and she kind of commits some party fouls. One of the rules that Mary would have known, that everybody would have known there, is that a woman would not approach a man in public, especially a rabbi. But what does Mary do? If you're taking notes, Mary went to Jesus. She comes into the room and walks right up to her rabbi. Right up to the one that she knew was the son of God. Right up to the one that she knew was going to save her and all the world from all of history and all the future from sin and death. And why? Because she knew that this rabbi was not like all the other rabbis, that this rabbi was not puffed up with pride or, or the rules, but he invited her. This is the rabbi who said, let the children come to me. And so she felt comfortable and she felt invited and she felt welcome and she went right up to Jesus and got in his space. And she, in a way, she was saying to him, Jesus, I need, I'm desperate for what you have. Another rule that Mary and all the people there would have known is that at a first century party like this, you don't make a scene. But what does Mary do? Mary comes and Mary bows to Jesus. And so here's Jesus and, and all the guests and here's Lazarus and, and I imagine the stories that they're sharing you know, they're still asking Jesus, how did you do it? Like, you know, what's next? 
You're like, Jesus, when are you going to start your kingdom? Because we, we want to be here for that. We want to see it. If this is what your kingdom looks like, I can't wait to see what's next. And, and they're talking and, Marty, and, and Mary comes in and, and there's Jesus and she comes up and everybody's starting to look. And they're like, well, what is she about to do? And she bows before him. And she's there at his feet. And I can imagine the whispers and people are saying, Mary, don't you know this party's not about you? Don't make a scene. Don't make it all about you, Mary. But it wasn't about Mary. Mary was enraptured by the presence of her Savior and she had no other option but to bow and humble herself before him. Another rule at a first century party like this was that you don't upstage the host. But what does Mary do? Mary comes and she anoints Jesus. The text tells us that it was an expensive perfume. As a matter of fact, it was a perfume that would have cost at least one year's wages. And the text tells us that the scent of that perfume wasn't just something that Jesus could smell and enjoy, but what? It filled the whole room. It was unavoidable. Mary was not only causing a scene, but she had turned the whole party upside down. And from a, a bystander who did not know what was taking place, they could have thought in that moment that she was upstaging Jesus and Lazarus and the others at the party, but that's not at all what she was doing. She came to Jesus and she, she had this mindset that there's nothing too great that I can bring to him and I'll bring him all that I have to offer. And I wonder if Mary knew exactly what she was doing or if she was just moved by the spirit of God, but literally she was anointing Jesus for his coming death and burial. A foreshadowing of, of the sacrifice that Jesus was about to be, that he was about to give for you and me bringing that offering to him. A final rule that Mary would have known about, that all the people in the room would have known about, is that at a first century party, you should be respectful. Be respectful of the host, be respectful of, of the, the one who's throwing the party, but what does Mary do? Mary reaches to Jesus. And this is where it really starts to come off the tracks. Because now not only has Mary approached Jesus, not only has she bowed before him, not only has she poured this perfume on him, but now she does what no uh, upstanding woman would do in the presence of man at a party like this, but she lets down her hair. And she begins to weep overwhelmed by the moment and the reality of what's taking place. And she begins to wipe Jesus' feet, putting her hands on him touching him. Again, this desperate move that Jesus, what you have is what I need. Now here's the thing about this. Mary did not do any of these things because she wanted to cause a scene or because she was a rebel or she didn't believe in rules or that she was trying to make, you know, kind of some kind of statement. It wasn't it at all. It wasn't like so many of the movements around the world today that we're just a part of a movement because we want to be a part of a movement. But she knew exactly the truth behind what she was doing. 
And it was not about the people in the room. It was about her Savior and what she could bring and the encounter that she knew that she had to have with him because of who he was and what he did and what he was about to do. And I believe that you and I can learn some truths about how we come to God in worship the very same way, not concerned about the people around us or what the expectations are or trying to make a statement or trying to be part of something, but just because we know who God is and we know what he's done and we trust in what he's going to do and we need an encounter with him and we've got something to bring to him. And we don't want any boundary. We don't want any barrier. We will not be ashamed, but we will come with unashamed worship to our Savior. So here's some things that I think we can learn. Here's number one. Unashamed worship starts with a move toward Jesus. Mary moved toward Jesus. We need to move toward him. See, God is always in our presence. Jesus is always pursuing us and he is always with us. But at the same time, you don't accidentally find yourself moving toward Jesus. It is an intentional move. It's a move that you choose to make where you surrender to him, where you seek him out, where you come to him. And the things that hold us back from a, a full-on pursuit of Christ and worship are the idols, the horizontal things in our life that are competing with the place of Jesus in our life. And here's the thing about idols is that they don't willingly take a step down. Idols in our life don't say, oh, you know what? I don't belong on the top step. Let, let me willingly, let me get down here where I need to be for you. No, idols have to be taken down. They've got to be torn down. And some of us have idols in our life that we've been putting up with for far too long and we need to tear them down. It's time to burn them down and offer them up to Christ where we say, Jesus, you and you alone belong in the seat of worship in my life. And I can no longer tolerate something competing with you. And see, all too often we take the blessings and the good things of life, things that are enjoyable, things that, that make life fun and good, and we elevate them to the place of God. We elevate them to the place of creator or savior as if they can give us value and purpose in life when they had nothing to do with our creation, nothing to do with the purpose that we are born with that we're created with. Nothing to do with giving us freedom and life. And so many of us, we've got to say, you know what? It can't be like 1A and 1B where Jesus is here and this thing is right here next to it. No, we've got to tear it down so that I can make a move toward Jesus. A second thing that we see is that unashamed worship involves a sacrificial offering. What did Mary do when she moved to Jesus? She anointed his feet, not just with some spices, not just with olive oil, not just what she had in the kitchen, not just what she, you know, had left over. No, she intentionally made a sacrifice, brought a perfume that would have cost a year's wages and she offered it to him. 
Because what Mary knew is what you and I need to wrestle with is that when I realize the greatness and the glory and the faithfulness of God, there is nothing too great to bring to him. That the greatest offering I'll ever have to give is still not great enough for my God. It's still not great enough for the Jesus who came and took my place. Still not great enough for the Jesus who did for me what only he could do. When I didn't deserve it, when I didn't know I needed it. So here's the, the hard truth about worship that many of us miss out. We know it in our heads, but we miss it in our heart is that worship is not about getting something. It's not about coming and be like, oh, that was a great worship or that I love that. I really got something from that or you know, that really moved me or I felt something. Or I, no, it's about what do I have to give to God? And I come and worship and I give to him, not just in those moments where worship is easy, because here's where we tend to lean into worship. We tend to lean into worship when I know I'm in desperate need of God. I've tried everything else. My life has fallen apart. And so I come back humbly and you know, kind of ashamed. Be like, God, I'm sorry. You know, maybe if I worship you, you can fix these things. We tend to worship God when things are going great. God, thank you. My business is great. My finances are great. My family's great. My team won yesterday. God, you're so good and I got to worship you. Or we worship God when things are hard and we're not really sure where else to turn. But here's the thing, is that we worship God in those times and all the times in between. Even when I think that I've got it all together, when I think that I'm in control or whatever it might be, that I come and I continue to lay my life on the altar and say, God, I'm yours because you are worthy. And I know that the truth is not the same thing as feeling. And so even if I don't feel it, God, I can come and worship you because you're still God. It involves a sacrificial offering. Here's another truth is that unashamed worship is physical and tangible. I mean, what did Mary do? Mary moved, Mary bowed, Mary anointed, and Mary wiped his feet. When we come to worship God, you can see it, you can hear it, you can recognize it. It comes as we sing songs, as we raise our hands, as we bow down, as we lie in prayer. It comes as we sing in the cars. It comes as we share a good news with a friend. It comes as we live our lives as an, a way of honoring him at work, at school, at home, with the things that we say or don't say, with the things that we do or don't do. The worship is not just a feeling or a commitment in my heart, but worship is physical and tangible. You can see it. You can hear it. You can recognize it. And then finally, unashamed worship is not always understood by others. As Mary came in and she bowed down to worship Jesus, knowing the reality, at least in part, of what he was doing and what he was about to do, Perhaps Judas was the only one brave enough to speak up of what everybody in the room might have been thinking. As Judas said, what is she doing? What is wrong with her? We could have taken this money and we could have you know, taken care of the poor. And maybe Judas didn't care about the poor, but certainly others in the room did. And there was at least nobody else in the room who was bowing down with Mary to worship. It was her and her alone.
And I wonder what the story would have looked like if Mary had come in and she had begun to bow down and she's looking around like, oh, it's just me. Maybe I shouldn't do this right now. <laughs> or, or maybe she had second thoughts as she pulled out that jar of perfume and be like, well, they're probably not gonna understand. I don't wanna make a scene. Maybe I shouldn't do this. But Mary had a singular focus. And here's the truth, as you worship and I worship in this room, in our cars, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, as we love our neighbor, in all those places, as we turn our lives to worship God, there are gonna be people who don't understand and that's okay. Because the truth is, is that we want to align our hearts with God, not the person next to us. We go vertical and align our hearts with God so that we can bring the love and the power of him to the people around us. And when they don't understand, that's fine. And maybe they'll think we're weird and just let them think we're weird. That's okay. Because you know what? Normal's not working for anybody. Let's be weird because here's what the world is in desperate need of. The world is in desperate need and the very best witness of the goodness of God is real, authentic, unhindered worship of our Savior. The world does not need more good, polite people who are, don't wanna make a scene, who don't wanna cause a fuss, who don't wanna create a stir, and they just quietly living their faith because it's just about me and Jesus. No, the world needs people who are passionate about what God has done and I can't hold it back. And if you're in, the, in my vicinity and you get some of it rubbed off on you, then so be it. But I've gotta worship my God. I've gotta worship my Savior. If you see me singing in the car, then sing along with me. If you see me raising my hands in worship, then raise your hands with me. If you see me living my life a little different to serve my God, then maybe God wants to do something in your life too. See, the world sees all kinds of people living on a platform and living for a movement and all kinds of these things. And we've gotten smart enough that we begin to look for the motive behind the method. What the world needs is people who don't have a motive other than just, my God is worthy. It's not about you, it's about Him. And so I will come without shame, without barrier or boundary or hindrance. I will move to Him. I will offer to Him. I will, I will, make, I will move in action to worship Him. And people around me, if they see it, then they see it. As a matter of fact, God's gonna use it when they see it. So here's my encouragement for all of us today, wherever we might be in life, you may not be sure about Jesus. You may be trying to follow him. He may be your one and only and you're sold out for him. But wherever we are, each and every single day, we have to make a choice. Is it Jesus plus? Or is it just Jesus? Is he gonna be at the top where he belongs? Am I gonna let other things compete for him? Compete for the place that he has in my life? And so we have a choice to make him the one and only place of our worship. And I wanna encourage you, and I know this is hard, 
And, and I have to wrestle with this and we all have to wrestle with this because it's the sin that, that we're born into that this Holy Spirit has come to set us free from and that we can live in freedom from this, but we gotta make a choice to tear down the idols. We can no longer tolerate the place of idols in our life. And we've gotta go all in, all in for Him. If it's really true that Jesus is who He said He is, and He did what He said He was gonna do, if He set us free, then what is too big to bring to Him? We gotta go all in. So if you'll stand, I wanna pray for you and pray for me. And if you're not sure about where Jesus is in your life, maybe you believe in Him, but, but you're not walking with Him, or maybe you haven't really even made a choice to trust in Him yet, I make a promise to you that the thing you're longing for, the thing that you're looking for, the empty space in your heart and soul is Jesus. And He's trustworthy and faithful and good. If you'll go all in for Him, you'll never need another. And there's always more of him to be had. I wanna encourage you to go all in. If you're pursuing Christ, then, then there, that truth is the same for you, is that there's always more of him for you to have. He's eternal. And we can always bring more of him. If you wanna pray with him and talk to him about the place he has of worship in your life, you can pray as you stand or you can kneel at your seat or you can come and kneel at these altars. If you want one of us to pray with you, just wave us on over. But maybe just as we sing, is we just remind ourselves of the worthiness of the God to whom we sing. And we ask, what can I bring to you? So as we prepare for that, let's, let's pray together. God, we love you and praise you and we celebrate you because you are God. And you are good, you are faithful and true. We thank you that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you that Jesus took our place. Thank you that you used a woman named Mary to point us and the disciples and those in that room to what was about to happen. That the final Passover offering would come in the life of Jesus. Thank you that you invite us to come to you, God, without shame, without fear, without hindrance. And we can just bow before you and offer to you all that we have. And God, we thank you that even though what we have is incomplete and insufficient and not enough, that you still receive it because we give it in the name of Jesus. And you anoint it with your Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit is here and working right now and moving as we come to you as we bring our broken offerings to you. It's in Jesus' wonderful and holy name we pray, amen.